What's good, modern workers? Just before we start the show, just a quick heads up that we've opened registration for our mobile live webinar series. For the month of April, we're focused on automation. Join us to learn how you can leverage Power Automate and Office 365 to streamline your business processes, like onboarding new hires to your team. Register today by following the link in the episode description. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? My name is Ryan Bialik, and we're back here with another episode of the MoO Show podcast. As always, joined by my co-pilot here in the front of the plane, Alex Henry. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing quite lovely as always. Mr. Ryan, how are you today? I could complain, but I shouldn't. No, I, I really can't complain. It's it's all we'll right. Save, we'll save the complaints for when we got a little more... Um some beers in hand or some clue in the coffee we'll figure it out we'll talk happy march 394th yeah so it feels um all right so today uh as as usual we are talking about digital transformation we're talking about tech in the modern workplace and as always we are joined by a great guest uh, today we're joined by jonathan strauss jonathan how are you doing good thank you uh, as we like to do with our guests, first let's pick your brain. Let's talk about you. Uh, so let's put you put your front and center. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your organization, and if you could take us back in time, your professional journey, your career journey. How did you get to where you are today? All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity to join you, gentlemen. Um, I started my company 25 years ago. I was um, in high school. And uh, there was an opportunity for me um, to buy a very, very small business that was failing uh, that did some publishing and trade show work um, in the tech industry, actually, here in Manitoba. And uh, so I convinced my parents to help me make a very small acquisition and uh, got into the trade show and publishing business uh, when I was in grade 11. And um, the business uh, just kept growing and evolving. And uh, originally, I really a focus on event management. And uh, over the last about 20 years, the focus uh, continues to shift from event management to association management. So uh, as a company, we help small associations that rather than hiring one or two staff, they hire our team and we run their associations. We manage their associations operations for them, do everything they need from a staff perspective with our team. So um, you know, we work with 10 associations and uh, the majority of our clients are Canadian national associations that we run out of our offices here in Winnipeg. Right on. So very cool corollary, uh, corollary to, to IT and how a lot of organizations now um, sort of outsource that work of, of IT rather than having that department. They trust a partner. They go out and they find those uh, those talented folks. So awesome. Um, association management, sort of the trade show business, how that morphed into association management. Was that just what changed in the market as a whole? Or was that something that you saw the opportunity to sort of blend into? Uh, our company was uh, starting to work with volunteer leaders and managing events that were driven by volunteers. And so that was our introduction to our clients being associations and charities. And from working with volunteer leaders on events, we got asked if we could help volunteer leaders run their organizations. And so it was uh, an unplanned, but you know, looking back, very natural progression. Um, we manage a lot of events for the associations that we manage, um, and now we also manage their organizations. So it was a, a really nice, natural uh, transition. Mm-hmm. 
Right on. Now, events and, and, and again, not to make this the COVID show, um, but how has that played a role in the last, let's say, 12 months of, of operations? Uh, events certainly are not first and foremost, I guess, in, in many associations' minds these days. Well, physical in-person events have certainly uh, been non-existent for the last 10 months, essentially. Um, we had a, a few small local client meetings, uh, events over the summer, uh, with about 40-odd people attending. Uh, a couple of client golf tournaments happened over the summer. Uh, but, you know, we have had nothing with more than 50 people indoors um, since, uh, I guess, the second week of March last year. So it's... Um, events have changed, um, but the, the desire to be together in some format, to learn from each other, um, to become, uh, to, to find new products or services, that hasn't changed for associations. So how associations are bringing their members together has changed, but um, the world of events, uh, it still goes on. The financial ramifications are, are really bigger than the event cancellations themselves. If there's anything that you've picked up that you would actually carry on post-2020 from the lessons you learned running events like that, the shorter, the smaller ones, less people, are there any like, key things that you have never like picked up if it wasn't for everything that happened last year with the pandemic and everything having to close down? So prob maybe more virtual events as an example? I think going forward, we're going to look at how virtual events complement physical in-person events. Um, so I think that that will be here to stay in some way. Nobody's quite figured out the cost effective way to do that yet. Uh, so that's going to be probably on everybody's agenda for the second half of this year is to how do you execute events that are a blend of in-person and virtual. Um, I, I think that the a lot of our clients have learned that there's a big desire uh, for micro learning. You asked about smaller, shorter events. So for sure, uh, I think that we'll continue to see that. Um, the question about events now becomes, do online events, which are often free or low cost, do they cannibalize uh, paid events? And uh, associations and charities often rely on event revenue to pay their bills. And so that, you know, very few organizations in the last 10 months have figured out how to generate the same kind of revenue from online events as, or virtual events as they have from in-person events. So um, there's, there's lots still to learn there. What, what's um what's discord not discord the uh stream the gaming streaming app that everyone uses um i'm thinking discord but there's a different one twitch twitch what do they use bits just get everyone to pay you in bits next year yeah. <laughs> well, to, to be well, honest uh, over the holidays uh my wife is a huge johnny reed fan she loves uh, johnny reed's music and so johnny reed hosted a virtual concert um it was streamed we had to pull it up in in a web browser and instead of paying money for tickets to go and see him at a venue, uh, you know, at a nice arena or, or sort of sit down place like that, we, we watched him in the living room with the computer hooked up to the TV. And so we paid for that and he gave the money to charity, which is fantastic. But the whole experience, it was just not the same. And even though the money went for a good cause, I just didn't feel as cool about it. It wasn't like I gave someone money and I got two ticket stubs and I get through the door and it's, you know, it's a whole experience. This, it didn't quite feel the same from a, I paid some money and I got some things uh, perspective. So kind of interesting. There's, there's a, yeah. There's a big spectrum of, of virtual event success and where people are seeing value. Um, some they're not seeing the value, but to be honest, in in-person events, we could say the same thing. 
Uh, I'm sure you both over your careers have gone to events where you've walked in and there's been a, a data projector off skew at the front of the room and uh, a beat up podium and what you feel like are three day old muffins. Um, <laughs> yes. So that equivalent exists online too in virtual events. Uh, but you've also walked into events where you're probably blown away and you guys are tech guys. So I mean, We've done events where there's been hundreds of thousands of dollars in rental fees for technology to produce events, not buy. Um, and those events really wow you. And so the virtual world is the same. You can put on a virtual conference, you know, using you know Teams or Zoom or something else for basically free, um, or you could spend fifty to hundred thousand dollars a day on a platform. So uh, a lot of ways these virtual events are you get what you pay for. Um, and like with any other technology or any other you know kind of tools. If you know how to use a tool, you can stretch it pretty far. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't know how to use a tool, it just doesn't work. So um, that's where we've seen a lot of parallels between the in-person, uh, you know, physically in-person and the virtual events is that if you don't know how to plan a great event, you don't know how to plan a great event. Yes, you need some different skill sets for a virtual event, but if you're not starting, you know, at the right place and with the right ideas and the right organization, the tools don't matter. Right. Uh, so, so that's something that hasn't changed. Content is still king, I guess, is the attitude. Content is king, but organization is king. You know, knowing how to mm -hmm. produce or manage an event uh, hasn't changed. The tools you use to bring that to the audience, uh, you know, are there. The, the question is about value, Ryan, is uh, my family, it sounds like similar to yours. We took our kids uh, between Christmas and New Year's to New York City for uh, uh, a variety show of sorts of Alanis Morissette's musical. Um, and I think we paid $25 US uh, and we you know, my phone was hooked up to the TV. Sounds like you're set up at home there too. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was worth $25 or whatever we paid for it. Uh, it wasn't worth $200, but that's not what they asked us to pay for it. So, um, you know, where we find value, I guess, has changed and what we expect for that value has changed. The, the question is going to be with so much free educational content uh, being produced, you know, in the last year. I mean, we were seeing it before. You know, I don't know what the latest stats are and how much educational content is on YouTube, but I mean, it's it's millions and millions of hours and that's just really accelerated. So getting people to pay for education uh, and networking opportunities as well and to participate in fundraising events, you know, for some people, they it's going to take a while to get them back to it. Others are just waiting at the door for that door to be unlocked and to run into the room and hug their friends. So, um, you know, a bit of a balance will have to be found. The Roaring 2020s have yet to happen. It's going to be a big one. I there's I miss live events. I miss going to live shows. I miss dancing at night and taking a chilly bus in minus 40 weather back home in the middle of February. It's It's been long enough, and I'm looking forward to it. There is something about the magic of being physically in the place just to see it happen and feel it happen. Yeah, and, and for the people, replicate. yeah, for the people who do it right, they're going to uh, see a lot of success uh, in bringing people back together. Um, and we know there's pent-up demand there. All the studies about travel, especially, are saying the pent-up demand is there. Uh, our family is—I I feel like—talking nonstop about our plans for a winter vacation. You know, 12 months from now or 11 and a half months from now, we're ready to go. I think if we could, we would probably have our bags packed. Um, so that demand is there. Um, and we're, we are hopeful as an organization that beginning in September uh, of, of this year that we're going to start to see in-person events, that we'll start to see people traveling. Um, you know, so we're hopeful for the second half of, of this year to start to see that happening. Let's uh, not to not to change topics too abruptly. But let's go. Let's go back to to yourself, your journey uh, along the way, building your organization. Again, you mentioned you started 
um, before you even left high school. I think that's a great story. Um, do you remember what the state of technology was back then when, when you were starting up? Uh, expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I remember dial-up internet access. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I remember going, being invited by Sony to the first birthday party for PlayStation. Um, so, you know, technology has, you know, really come a long way. Um, I wish, uh, you know, when I was involved with the technology industry with my company, you know, in, in the mid to late 90s, I was given uh, by Sony, Nintendo and Sega a lot of free games and I wish I'd held on to some of them because some of them I think are pretty rare and uh, would have some value today. Um, you know, I, I can remember for the Computer Post, the, uh, the publication I owned, um, NEC wanting us to, to evaluate and write about a brand new 27-inch monitor they launched and it was shipped to us in a road case that uh, was probably, you know, 36 inches square or bigger, weighed 150 pounds, um, and they sent it FedEx overnight. Um, <laughs> no, like, spared no expense. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. I mean, I don't know what the monitor cost. I can't remember that. But, um, you know, it was crazy to think, you know, it was so exciting to see this gigantic monitor. I mean, I don't know if my desk would hold it up today. Um, so technology has come so far. Um, you know, how much we used to rely on faxes. Uh, and, uh, you know, the pace of things was slower because of the technology then, how much we could do in a day. Um, but, uh, yeah, lot, lots has changed. I mean, I grew up with technology. Um, an Apple IIc was my first computer in elementary school. Um, and, you know, I look at what that can do. And then I look at what my, you know, my younger son is in elementary school and what he does with, uh, you know, with a MacBook or with his Chromebook from school or with his iPhone. Uh, you know, like he... <laughs> There, there's far more power in his $400 Chromebook than there was in my, I don't know how many thousands of dollars my parents spent on an Apple IIc, but um, lots. Yeah, I was just thinking about that too. My elementary also had those, like a lot of Macs and a lot of those old 90s Apple machines. And yeah, I have a $200 Chromebook that could probably dance circles around those things. Just in the boot up time alone. Yeah, that's wild. So when you were starting out, uh, obviously you were in the tech space, but did you, do you think you made a conscious decision to, to use the tech in growing the business? So what you saw and what you had to work with sort of professionally for the day to day, did that blend into how you wanted to build your business? Was that more of a conscious de- a decision to, to enable technology in the business? Being efficient has always been something that we've had to do. Uh, People often see, especially in the event space, hiring us is is a nice to have, not always a need to have for a lot of organizations. So if we can't bring efficiencies and be cost effective, we don't get hired. And really the same thing in our association management business. We have to be efficient and cost effective. So technology has always played a role. Um, we seem to have a, a discussion about better utilizing technology almost every day. Um, and so... It's always been there. I remember, and I, I can't give you a date for it, but it would be in the early 2000s investing in having a custom web-based registration system with an e-commerce platform built so people could register online for events and pay with a credit card in real time. It seems crazy to think that you couldn't just, you know, for 99 cents buy an app or get a free app to do that or something. You know, Eventbrite didn't exist. Cvent didn't exist. Um, and so there weren't a lot of options, and we spent... I'm sure it was five to ten thousand dollars to build something that today somebody would build in 15 minutes. Um, 
you know, and, and at that time, uh, the, the credit card processing companies, there were very few of them. Um, you basically had to put your house or your, or your first seven children up as collateral for <laughs> yeah. online transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's amazing how far that has come. I mean, there was really no competition in the space. Uh, so technology has really changed that. We actually used to get hired sometimes to manage events just because we knew how to process credit cards online. That was one of the primary reasons you would hire us to manage an event. And it seems crazy today because some of the, you know, the low cost tools or free tools that are out there. I mean, anybody can do it in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and probably some, some interesting um, correlations to, to collaboration as well. Uh, what used to be stuff for the, you know, for intensely invested enterprises uh, to have the connectivity and to have the communications platforms now there's, you know, pick your poison. Uh, certainly we focus on the Microsoft landscape, but uh, there's so many other ways to get a team together, uh, even when they're apart or when they're remote, uh, working remotely, um, distributed workforce a- a- across a whole country or across a whole continent. So um, I- I'm going to guess that collaboration is is a pretty core pillar to, to how you run your business as well. So we used to um, live on teleconferences. Um uh, we were a bit slow to ad- adapt uh, or adopt video conferencing um, in the way we're doing it today with Teams and Zoom and GoToMeeting and all those kind of platforms. We were a bit slow to, ad- to adapt those things, not for any good reason. Um, often with volunteer leaders who are our clients, they're running between things. They like the idea of the phone because they can you know, be wherever they are and just you know, dial some digits and be there. It doesn't matter if they're in their car or in their office or what they're wearing. Um, and so we actually just had a conversation this week that we are canceling our teleconference subscription that we have uh, because nobody can remember the last time it was used other than in sort of a last minute emergency kind of situation. But our, uh, our cloud-based phone system, 3CX, you know, we can bring a few people together in you know, a few clicks too uh, for a phone call if we want to just do it kind of that old school way. So, um, you know, I, I can, I've memorized, most of our team have memorized you know, the phone number for our bridge service for teleconferences. And, um, you know, as of the end of this month, that won't exist for us anymore. Uh, so, yeah, that that collaborating with volunteer leaders, our clients, has totally changed. Um, you know, they're, we're now doing all kinds of cloud sharing of files. Um, you know, it's amazing that uh, we asked a volunteer leader to shoot a video at home to welcome association members to their event um, this weekend. And he shot it on his phone and he sent us... Um, um, you know, a, a video using cloud storage and it's like, you know, a 400 megabyte file and we got it, you know, 60 seconds after clicking the link. Um, that's pretty incredible. We've come so far and I laugh when my kids complain about our 300 megabit service internet <laughs> at home and it not being fast enough. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it's changed a lot, but it, it, it helps and just keep, but it means everything just keeps getting faster and everybody wants us to work faster all the time. Right. So definitely some pressures, even though we have these these amazing tools that sort of shrink, you know, geographically the, the space between us. Uh, certainly we, we get it, too, in the tech in the tech realm. Uh, the, the questions are still there. It's just people know how to ask them a lot more uh, quickly. So it's, it's, a, it's a great challenge, though. I love it. Um, any tech missteps? In the last, um, say, 20, 25 years, if, if anything stands out to you, maybe you made an investment, didn't pan out, maybe you adopted a 
product or, or technology that didn't quite pan out? Anything stand out for you that way? A few things, I think. Um, I've learned that when staff uh, say that a, a technology tool doesn't work, that we have to first look at training. And is it an issue that we don't know how to use the tool as opposed to the tool doesn't work for us or doesn't work, period? So I can think about a time where we were having some issues with accounting. Um, and uh, we've been very loyal to QuickBooks, uh, like a lot of small businesses. And mm-hmm. we were having a lot of issues and um, didn't dig it up into understand that it was staff issues, not platform. And we went out and made a very large investment in uh, what was Great Plains at the time. Um, and uh, it failed for us. We weren't sophisticated enough to use it. We didn't have the staff training to use it and very quickly realized that it was a staff training issue with QuickBooks. We very quickly went back to QuickBooks. And so that was many thousands of dollars flushed down the toilet. And it was uh, not, nothing to do with, you know, with the, with the Great Plains, uh, which now I know a Microsoft product accounting system. It had nothing to do with that. It was a training issue. Um, so I really learned from that when staff say that something's not working to stop and say, have we properly trained you on how to use it? Uh, and the answer is sometimes yes, and it still doesn't work. Okay, that's fine. That's that's cool. We can deal with that. But that's the first question always is, you know, have you been given the training? Do you have the experience in how to use it uh, before we go and look at making a change on, on a technology platform? Right on. Yeah, no, so, so many interesting, again, many interesting parallels to other avenues of running a business, I can imagine, not just uh, not just technology. For um, sure, you know we um, we've got a staff person doing some Excel training this week, um, and it was just very evident that you know she wasn't hired to be an Excel expert, but we keep asking her for some reports that the only way we know how to create them is in Excel, and so she's frustrated because she doesn't know how to do it, and we're frustrated because we don't like the work product. And it was like, okay, hang on a second here. Is the issue that you don't know how to do this? Nope, I don't know how to input the data to get the report the way you want it to look. Okay, well, we're going to invest a couple hundred bucks in some training, and hopefully that's going to get us where we need to be. We don't need you to be an Excel expert, but you need to learn how to do five or six things. Um, And so as an employer, uh, I have to be willing to make that investment. Um, And, uh, you know, I've been learning to, to see the return on that investment. It's not always immediate, but... Generally, you know, you look for the right training from a trusted partner. We're using somebody that uh, one of your colleagues recommended to do the training. And so we'll take that recommendation. I'm sure it'll work out. Yeah, for sure. And so so other than, say, the the skills uh, that, that someone could go out and, and, and acquire that you may, uh, again, spend some money for one of your teammates to, to acquire, how do you generate or maintain or, or even sort of start the gem of the curiosity for your teammates to try to solve a problem because i i think what we see uh, on the tech side a lot of time is end users or employees are are really scared to try something in teams or they're really scared to try that new thing in power automate or they're really scared to try this new thing they're, they i don't want to say they lack the curiosity they're just really scared of trying something and upsetting management or upsetting ownership or something like that even though the, the, the outcome could be some time savings or some efficiencies? I think as, a, as an employer or a manager, um, sometimes you have to get out of the way and drop your own loyalties and say, all right, go out and show me why this is a better way to do things. Um, so that, that's one thing I would say is, um, you know, I've tried to learn over time to get out of the way 
if I'm not the expert in the area, say, fine, go out and find the right solution. As long as a few staff who need to use it agree, then go for it. Um, the other thing that's really changed for us is um, we, we started using Teams and playing with it about a year ago. Uh, before we knew what COVID-19 was and before we heard about a pandemic, just before in North America, we learned that. And now, actually, what we've been seeing is we've been, um, you know, adapting and, and shifting what we do and pivoting, I guess, the, the word of 2020, is that by using the chat in Teams, our staff are now problem solving a lot together. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're quickly figuring out who's the experts in different areas of the business that, that are not sort of the day-to-day -day or what's in your job description, so to speak. But different people have little hidden talents. And through people bringing their problems to our company-wide Teams chat, we're solving a lot of things quickly that way. So um, that, that's been really nice, that kind of real-time collaboration. And, and one of the things that's certainly a goal for us this year is to learn how to better use Teams for collaboration. Um, and uh, we're certainly interested to, to see how Teams and Planner come together. Um, and look at uh, if there's an opportunity to do some project management using what our staff have now been comfortable with in teams. So that's kind of our on our radar uh, for collaboration this year. For sure. Uh, and interesting that you mentioned the the company wide team and and the value you find in that. It's it's almost that that collaboration out loud. I've heard it put another way where it's it's the digital equivalent of walking around the office and and sort of eaves eavesdropping. Um, you know, if, if you're on the way to the lunchroom and you you hear two colleagues talking about a problem, and if you have some input, you can you can lend you can lend an opinion or you can lend a tip. Um, when we're all working remotely, we don't exactly have that physical uh, means of doing that. So it's good to hear that uh, your organization, your team, has got that wide open channel for communication. What anything goes, you got an idea, you got something you need to get off your chest, put it here. Maybe someone's experienced that before. Maybe we've got some tribal knowledge that's not documented somewhere uh, in in a file or in a procedure or in a manual, something like that. That's that's uh, that's really really cool to hear you guys doing that. Yeah, what we need to learn how to do, and we'll rely on on you and your colleagues, is um, learn how to better organize some of our chats and and use some of the the channels or teams within Teams. Um, we need to learn how to do that a bit better. You know, sometimes there's some conversations we're not separating out that, that don't involve right. everyone. Now, we're 15 people, so it's not, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it would look like if you had 100 or 1,000 people. It would probably get messy pretty quickly. We're small enough that our informal style uh, in the chats, I think, works. But as we as we get better at it, uh, we've got to look at, at how to sort of structure it a bit better. And I think something as a whole that that it or technology users need to to kind of get through is is back in the day it almost felt like a consumable you know if, if teams was around 20 years ago the licensing model would have probably been for every team you added it cost you another 300 dollars or something like that uh, but i think we forget how quick and i don't want to say disposable but maybe digitally disposable uh, so, so back to your point about branching off chats and using teams and channels and those sorts of things there, there's probably no right or wrong, uh, but don't forget that if you set something up, it can be as temporary or as permanent as you want. And, and I think that's what I learned at Clear Concepts in 2020 is um, we would have 
customer situations bubble up and then like a little skunk works team would be put together. We would set up a chat first. We would set up a group chat in teams before we even went to the formal teams and channels sort of direction. We would have our little conversation, maybe put out a fire, maybe come up with a good idea. And then when that was done, those four, six people may work again on a different uh, situation or they may never work again for three or four months sort of thing. So it's it's sort of temporary or permanent, fixed or not fixed, disposable or or not, I guess. It's an interesting way of thinking of it. Yeah, the pricing model for software is, you know, certainly something that's changed over, over my lifespan, um, over my life. I, I remember when Adobe announced that they were no longer selling Photoshop um, and Illustrator and other things as a box. Um, and being annoyed in, in doing the math and figuring out like how many times I felt like over the course of five years, I was going to rebuy the same product. Um, and we were forced to make the change. I've got, I've got one graphic designer on staff. Um, so we, you know, we need those tools. And now I can't imagine if he came to me and said, I need a thousand dollar piece of software, I would tell him he was nuts. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, as you talk about, you know, the cost, the in incremental costs are either zero or generally very low. Um, and so that's why you can sometimes experiment with things. Um, my wife was just trying to do something at home the other day and she found uh, a tool, like an app based tool that uh, she ended up paying for and she paid $2.99 for it. It did what she needed and now she's not going to pay for it next month. Um, we could never buy software, uh, you know, at a computer store for $2.99. We couldn't buy a floppy disk, I don't think, for $2.99. So um, that, that certainly has changed. The, the price can set like the perceived value of an app based on just the price alone is so interesting because I'll have friends that will spend 20 bucks on a beer or a burger and but hold up you want me to spend two dollars and 99 cents on an app that'll keep for forever or at least for five years that'll solve my problem no no <laughs> I can't spend that much why isn't it free and I'm like but it's three dollars and it's going to do the thing you need it to do and you don't have to have a subscription. It's just done. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, yeah it's one of those things that, um, you know, where, where do we see value? Um, and uh, But those $3 add up, especially when it is a monthly subscription. I, I'm, you know, I've read lots of stories about that. Uh, you know, we're a house that doesn't have 17 different streaming subscriptions. But, you know, you talk to some people, it's like, wow, you spend a lot of money on streaming. Do you actually use those? Because you can turn them on and off. Like if you, if, if you want, you know, the newest streaming service for a month, Go pay for it and then cancel it. So, um, you know, we, you know, it's a conversation we have here about stuff. Uh, we're going to try a new live event streaming platform uh, for an awards ceremony next month, and it was like, okay, well, they charge you for 30 days, so we want to play with it before. Let's not buy it more than 30 days before the actual event because we only need it once this year. Um, so let's make sure, you know, it's I think $55 or something. Let's pay for it only once. We don't need to pay 110. Let's just pay 55, and that's what we'll do. Yeah, it's, it's ironic when the when the folks complaining that they have 17 streaming services are the ones that said, oh, yeah, we're going to cut cable and just use streaming services to save some money. And then they get those bills and you add them all up and holy smokes, that's more than we were paying for cable. It's yeah. getting there, eh? Yeah. Uh, sort of one other theme here uh, yet to, to ask you some questions around, Jonathan, is um, how else are you seeing associations use technology? Certainly, um uh, COVID and and sort of getting together and events, but what are some other interesting ways you've noticed um, around your business that 
associations are using technology either to drive engagement, to, to, to keep people coming back, to keep money in the coffers, I, I guess, uh, as alternate revenue streams? You know, the last year for our clients has not been about revenue generation. Um, our, our clients, uh, for the most part, uh, have healthy reserve funds, um, and they're often called rainy day funds. And so what we started to say to our clients is, it's raining, it's pouring, like you have these reserves, so let's use them. Let's invest in ways to keep members in business so that they can be our members in the long run. Um, and so we were really focused on putting members first with the associations we manage. Um, and so community, online communities in place of in-person communities. So whether it's a LinkedIn group or a Facebook group, uh, keeping members together. We've actually found uh, over time that the proprietary communities that an association may have are a little bit harder to get people engaged with because they're already on other social media. So if you can connect with them where they already live, so to speak, um, it's a little bit easier. So we've um, that's been an investment for, for us in terms of time is bringing members together online, sharing information that way, sharing information in different ways. But building community online has been a big thing. I mean, there are people, we work with industries where people are used to traveling nonstop, um, you know, literally the old school traveling salesman in a lot of ways. And uh, getting those people to feel like they're still connecting with customers through the association has meant having to do things differently. And I think that's going to continue. But I tell you, over and over again, people just keep saying they want to be back together. So it's coming. It's going to come strong. Right on. And and tech is going to be right there waiting, I know, to make things easier, to impress. Um, certainly something we talk about a lot is accessibility and giving people that maybe don't normally get the opportunity to go out and participate in some of these events as well. Have you have you seen an uptake in technology that way as well uh, around events specifically? Um, I think so. We uh, we talk about um, you know like some of the technology that's coming out for um, live interpretation um, and how that can be done. Um, so making you know removing the language barrier for you know events that are national in Canada with French and English or international events. So. That's uh, technology I think we'll see really pick up and, and how to engage audiences uh, using technology, polling apps and other kinds of things like that. So there will be more and more things that will help bring people together more easily uh, and, and making it so that where you are doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, that's been one of the exciting things is that some of these events that have gone virtual have meant that people from parts of Canada may not travel you know, from Nunavut to Toronto to go to a trade show now got to go to a virtual trade show uh, and it cost them nothing or next to nothing to do that. Uh, so that that's something that um, I think you know, will make things easier to attend and we'll continue to see. Okay. On the flip side of that, do smaller associations now, they the, the world is their oyster because they can scale so much larger in, in a lot shorter time. Yes. Um, there are opportunities to reach different audiences. Uh, and to bring people in, we still haven't seen a lot of people monetize that in a big way. Okay. Uh, you know, there's just, as we just talked about earlier, there's so much free or almost free out there that that's the challenge. But uh, we have some clients that are very um, uh, specialized in, in what their members do that have been able to find some new audiences where people are interested in what they're doing in a way that they haven't been before. And so now the, the trick is going to be to keep them engaged and, and say, hey, we've got a conference coming to your community next year or the year after you've engaged with us online. Do you want to now engage with us in person? Right. Do you see a lot of, is there a lot of consolidation with associations or is that not really a... Uh, 
It, there isn't today. Um, sometimes in economic downturns, we see that. We actually see the opposite in associations. There's more specialized associations. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of really unique things, um, healthcare and medicine, especially. There's so many specialized associations. So there's actually more probably as opposed to less. Right on. Well, that's everything I had um, to, to sort of pick your brain about today. Again, thank you so much. I learned about association management. I, I love talking to entrepreneurs, especially ones that got a young start. That, that certainly resonates with me. And uh, I, I get a sense that you have a passion for technology deep, deep within. So it's good to, uh, good to bounce some ideas off you. Thank you so much for, for your time. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. I'm glad I could join you. And uh, our company certainly benefits from, from the support and ideas that, that your company and the two of you bring forward. So appreciate the partnership uh, with Clear Concepts. It's been uh, very good for our business over the last number of years. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, John. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you, dear listeners, for hanging out with us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. You can find us on all the major podcasting apps. We release new episodes every second and fourth Thursday of the month. On behalf of Ryan, myself, and the amazing staff at Claire Concepts who helps make this show possible, take care.